This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. garden party reminisce with my old friends a chance to share old memories play songs again when I got to the garden party they all knew my name no one recognized me I didn't look the same but it's alright now Hello, and welcome to At The Garden. I'm Kelly Nelson, and this is part three of my look at Bruno Sammartino's record at Madison Square Garden. Today, I will examine the years 1972 to 1977. This was an extremely successful period for wrestling in New York during a time when the city itself was struggling economically and socially. This period saw Bruno reclaim his throne and face many challenges, old and new, before record-breaking crowds. This was when Bruno became the living legend. So let's resume our story. Pedro Morales firmly entrenched as champion, Bruno remained mostly in the background for the next few years in New York. The next nearly three years would find Bruno traveling the United States and internationally, wrestling in many places where he'd never worked before. Most of his work in 1971 was in the Pittsburgh territory he now owned, taking over in 1966. On March the 5th, Bruno defeated Ivan Koloff in Pittsburgh in a Texas death match. Koloff had already moved on to the AWA by this point and was flown in special for the match. Bruno would have to wait several more years for revenge against Koloff in New York City. Later in the year in Pittsburgh, Bruno teamed up with Dominic Naducci to defeat the Mongols for the international tag titles on June 18th. They lost them back on July the 16th. This title change wasn't acknowledged outside of Pittsburgh, however. In 1972, Bruno expanded to several other areas. First, on January the 14th, Bruno came to Los Angeles and won the annual Battle Royal, one of the most heavily pushed matches of the year nationally. It was voted Match of the Year in the Victory Sports Series Wrestling Annual, a precursor to the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Awards. On June the 3rd, 1972, Bruno appeared at the Cow Palace in San Francisco, teaming with Rocky Johnson and Pepper Gomez to take on Ripper Collins, Paul DeMarco, and Ernie Ladd. 
In October, he went to Japan for a tour of the newly formed All Japan promotion. While there, he teamed with Terry Funk, Dutch Savage, Dominic DiNucci, Freddie Blassie, Dory Funk, the NWA heavyweight champion of the world at that time. He would also do a tour of All Japan in February 1973 and in November and December of the same year. Also in 1973, Bruno would work frequently for Dick the Bruiser, who was promoting in Indianapolis, Detroit, and Chicago at the time. On September 29, 1973, he teamed with the Bruiser to defeat Ernie Ladd and Jimmy Valiant at the International Amphitheater in Chicago. Earlier, on July 21st in Detroit, Bruno and the Bruiser won the WWA tag titles from Ernie Ladd and Baron Von Raschke. These were the titles recognized in the Bruiser's Indianapolis territory. This victory was repeated a month later in Indianapolis on August 25th for the benefit of the local fans. Bruno would wrestle on four shows in St. Louis, the crown jewel city of the National Wrestling Alliance in 1973. On April 6th, he defeated Ivan Koloff. On April 27th, he defeated the Invader, who was Dick Murdoch under a mask. On May 18th, he defeated area legend Rip Hawk. This was all building to a big show on June the 15th. That night, before 10,093 people at the Kiel Auditorium, Bruno challenged for the NWA title for the first time in a decade, going to a one-hour draw with Harley Race. Bruno would work shows in St. Louis in 1974, 75, and 76 as well. Meanwhile, back in Indianapolis, Bruno and the Bruiser dropped the titles to the Valiants on January the 5th, 1974, and then lost a rematch in a cage on February the 7th. Bruno would become even more familiar with the Valiants in the coming months back in New York City. in his home base of New York in 1972, Bruno would be involved in a memorable encounter with the new king. Bruno made his first appearance at the Garden since July 1971 on March 13th when he defeated Smasher Sloan. The territory had been red hot since 1970, as had wrestling in general in the United States and Canada. Stadium shows had been successful in other areas, like Los Angeles, the AWA, Dallas and Montreal. And Vince Sr. saw an opportunity to hold his biggest show ever. Fans had been debating who was better, Bruno or Pedro, since Pedro took over on top in February 1971. So in a break from protocol, McMahon decided if the fans really wanted to see a battle between the two most popular stars, that he would give it to them. This could be a chance to set a record for attendance and be the most successful show he ever promoted. An angle was shot at a TV taping in Philadelphia on July 18th, which aired August 5th, where Bruno teamed with Pedro to take on tag team champions, Professor Toro Tanaka, and newcomer to the territory, Mr. Fuji. 
During the match, both Bruno and Pedro were blinded by salt, and they began accidentally slugging each other, which started a fight that led to wrestlers having to come from the back to break it up. The next week on TV, a match between the two was announced. It would take place at Shea Stadium, home to baseball's Mets and also the New York Jets of the NFL. A few weeks prior, on September 2nd, San Martino defeated George Steele at the semi-main event of a show at Madison Square Garden that drew 21,819. A crowd better than the 38,000-plus that attended a show at Comiskey Park in 1961, headlined by an NWA title match between Pat O'Connor and Buddy Rogers, was anticipated for a show that was billed as the showdown at Shea. But on the day of the show, September 30th, it rained, which hurt the walk-up crowd, and the show ended up only drawing 22,508, only slightly more than the MSG show earlier in the month, which was considered disappointing. Bruno and Pedro fought what was reported as a 75-minute curfew draw. After the match, the two shook hands and embraced. A babyface versus babyface main event wouldn't be attempted by the McMahon family again until 1990. At the next Madison Square Garden show, on October 16th, Bruno teamed with Morales to take on Tanaka and Fuji in a rematch, to settle the score with the team that had led to them fighting in the first place. On January 15th, 1973, Bruno returned to MSG and defeated Tanaka in the semi-main event on a show that drew 22,096. This would be his last appearance at the Garden until December. fall of 1973, Pedro Morales had been champion for two and a half years. During this time, Vince McMahon's promotion had underwent many changes. Changes that would set the stage for the future of the company. Tapings in Washington, D.C., where McMahon first started promoting wrestling in the early 1950s, ceased in September 1971. Hamburg, Pennsylvania, a better location for transportation purposes, would become the new second location for television, with shows taped at the Philadelphia Arena still serving as the primary location. More significantly, McMahon rejoined the NWA in late 1971. This would open up new talents, would help make up garden cards throughout the 70s and early 1980s. Change came to the garden in other ways as well. On July 1st, 1972, women were allowed to wrestle at the garden for the first time. Then, in December, the hugely popular Mil Mascaris debuted at the Garden. He was the first masked wrestler to appear there, as they had previously been banned by the Athletic Commission. On March 26, 1973, a man who had become one of the biggest stars in wrestling history, Andre the Giant, debuted at the Garden. Another sign of change occurred on June 30, 1973 when a Madison Square Garden show was shown on the burgeoning cable channel Home Box Office, HBO. Oh, yeah. 
going forward, professional wrestling's relationship with cable TV would be hugely important, not just in the Northeast, but everywhere in the United States and Canada. Eventually, in the 1980s, its impact would end up drastically affecting the landscape of wrestling. Finally, there was a change that may not have seemed as important as the others at first, when longtime TV announcer Ray Morgan was replaced by Vince McMahon's son, Vince Jr. The younger McMahon grew up poor in a North Carolina trailer park. His father and mother split up long before Vince Jr. could remember. He didn't meet his father until he was 12 in 1957. He would spend summers with his father and new wife in Delaware. Young Vince was basically a juvenile delinquent, and he went to military school when he was 14. Eventually, he went to East Carolina University. He first got into his father's business in 1969, starting from the very bottom, setting up rings part-time, as he also worked as a traveling salesman. In 1971, Ray Morgan quit or was fired as the TV announcer, perhaps after asking for a pay increase to compensate for having to now travel to Hamburg, Pennsylvania for TV. Then Senior made his son the new announcer. Around the same time, Vince Jr. began promoting shows in Bangor, Maine, the furthest spot north in the territory. In 1974, he co-promoted the infamous Evil Knievel Snake River Canyon jump. He was a quick study as a businessman, and he was learning from one of the best minds in the business, as well as others involved in the company. He was a rising star. As all of this was happening, Morales remained the constant on the top of the cards. As WWF champion, he sold out 23 of 29 MSG title defenses, which is the best sellout percentage in history by a headliner. He was a huge star in New York City among the Puerto Rican faithful. Outside of New York, though, he drew well, but he didn't have the same following as Bruno. Behind the scenes, McMahon and San Martino had finally reached a compromise which would see Bruno return to the top of the territory. McMahon offered San Martino to come back with a schedule that was about 70% of what he was wrestling in 1970, and for considerably more money per show. Bruno accepted. McMahon hadn't wanted to replace Bruno in the first place, and now that he was finally open to returning, he didn't hesitate replacing Morales with him. Bruno's return to the top of the mountain was set for December 10th, 1973, at the Garden. That evening, he would be facing Stan Stasiak, which shockingly defeated Morales at the Philadelphia Arena on December 1st before 5,412. Stasiak was from Quebec and a longtime pro wrestler. He worked everywhere from the early 50s well into the 1980s. Besides the Northeast, he wrestled extensively in Western Canada and the Pacific Northwest. He was known as the master of the heart punch. The match ended with a double pin situation, with Stasiak lifting his shoulder at the last second. An ironic twist on how Morales defeated Koloff to win the title in 1971. Also like with Koloff, Stasiak was not announced as champion after the match, nor was he given the belt in the ring. As with Koloff defeating San Martino in 1971, they didn't want to run the risk of a riot situation. In fact, 
It is said many fans left the arena that night in Philadelphia, not even knowing that they had witnessed a title change. The announcement of Stasiak as champion didn't happen on TV until December 8th, two days before the Madison Square Garden card. For a sellout crowd, after 12 minutes and 35 seconds, San Martino defeated Stasiak after three consecutive body slams. It had been nearly three years, but San Martino was now, once again, the King of New York. Second from the top, in a match that was originally billed as the main event of the card, Pedro Morales defeated Larry the Axe Henning in a lumberjack match. Morales would stick around as one of the top babyfaces in the territory until early 1975. He would return in 1980 for a lengthy run with the Intercontinental title. Bruno's first defense came on January 14, 1974, when he defeated Don Leo Jonathan. Jonathan had begun wrestling in 1950, and he was a headliner everywhere for several decades. He was a major star in Western Canada and the Pacific Northwest, and also Montreal, California, and St. Louis. The Northeast was the only place he hadn't worked extensively before arriving in 1973. Next up, on March the 4th, before a salad of 22,091, was Nikolai Volkov, the former Beppo Mongol. The two of them went to a 53-minute curfew draw that evening. A rematch was held April the 1st, also a sellout, where San Martino won decisively. Next, on April 29th, an old foe from the 1960s returned. Killer Kowalski was back and they went to a draw that evening. A rematch was held on May the 20th, a Texas death match before 17,103, with San Martino gaining a decisive victory against his old rival in what would be their last match against each other at MSG. On June the 24th, a sellout crowd of 22,093 witnessed Bruno teaming with Chief J. Strongbow to defeat Nikolai Volkov and his manager, Freddie Blassie. After years as a headliner in Los Angeles, Blassie had recently retired and relocated to the Northeast, where McMahon offered to make him a manager. With Blassie, there would now be three main managers in the territory, known as the Three Wise Men of the East, with Lou Albano and the Grand Wizard, who debuted a couple years earlier, being the other two. On July 22nd, 18,579, witness Bruno defeat John Tolos, big star from the West Coast. From Hamilton, Tolos began wrestling in the early 1950s and would become a major star, first with his brother Chris in a very successful tag team who were big in New York City in the late 50s and early 60s, then in Los Angeles in the early 70s, famous for an epic feud with Freddie Blassie. Next up, on August 26th, 22,094 saw Bruno once again team up with Strongbow, this time taking on the Red Hot Valiant Brothers tag team. With long blonde hair and managed by Lou Albano, Jimmy and Johnny Valiant had won the tag team titles 
upon entering the territory in May, defeating Dean Ho and Tony Gurria. Jimmy had worked in the territory in 1971 and 1972, first as a babyface, but he then turned heel on Chief J. Strongbow. He first teamed up with Johnny in Indianapolis in late 1973. They essentially became a modern version of the Golden Grands, the great tag team of the 1950s and early 1960s. They were great at generating heat and became so hot that they main evented against San Martino and various partners, often Strongbow. They remained a top team throughout the 1970s in the AWA, St. Louis, Indianapolis, San Francisco, Georgia, Memphis, and Florida, returning to the Northeast in the late 70s, this time as a three-man team with third brother Jerry. On October 7th, another sellout crowd saw San Martino and Strongbow defeat the Valiants. On November 18th, San Martino defeated Bobby Duncombe due to blood stoppage. Duncombe had been active since 1966, and he'd wrestled all over the South before coming to New York, mainly in the old Amarillo territory. Duncombe was part of the legendary West Texas State football alumni who would go on to become wrestlers, including the Funk Brothers, Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody, Blackjack Mulligan, Ted DiBiase, Tully Blanchard, and Tito Santana, among others. San Martino defeated Duncombe in a Texas deathmatch on December 16th. 1975 opened on January 20th with San Martino and Strongbow once again defeating the Valiants. Bruno's next program at MSG would be the most successful series of matches the Garden had ever seen to that point, and would be one of Bruno's most legendary feuds. Spiros Arion was from Greece. He was a huge star in Australia in the 1960s and early 1970s. And it was in Australia where Bruno met him in the mid-1960s during one of his tours. Shortly thereafter, Arion was brought over to America and the Northeast Territory for the first time. Bruno and Arion were presented on TV as friends and formed a tag team, even holding the United States titles which were the recognized tag team titles in the territory at the time. Arion returned to the territory in late 1974 and entered into a partnership with Chief J. Strongbow in an effort to win the tag team titles from the Valiant Brothers. McMahon had decided to attempt to reprise the great success of the San Martino versus Bill Watts feud of 1965, where San Martino had been betrayed by his friend. The seeds were first planted during a match between Arion and Killer Kowalski on television. Strongbow got involved and ended up costing Arion the match by disqualification, which was pushed as being Arion's first ever loss in the United States, and he showed visible frustration. Next, 
during Arion and Strongbow's title match with the Valiants on television, Arion turned on Strongbow. And in a memorable angle, ripped up Strongbow's headdress and shoved the feathers in his mouth. Following this, Arion took on Freddie Blassie as his manager. Then, at the January 1975 MSG show, Arion defeated Bruno's protege, Larry Zabisco. During a post-match beatdown, Bruno had finally had enough and came to Larry's aid. This set the stage for the hottest feud New York City had seen in years. And San Martino and Arion would break records and sell out everywhere they went in 1975. San Martino and Arion first met on February 17th, the first of three straight sellouts. Double sellouts, including attendance in the felt form where fans could watch on close circuit within Madison Square Garden. The total attendance for each show was around 26,000. Their second match was on March the 17th, which ended in controversy in a Texas death match where Arian got his foot on the ropes before the count of three. This led to one more match on April 14th, the first ever Greek death match, where the only way to win the match was by submission. Bruno prevailed, and Arion was finally vanquished. The hot streak continued at the very next show, May 19th, with 24,553 in attendance, including the Felt Forum. Here, Bruno matched up against his old foe, Waldo Von Erich. Von Erich had destroyed Chief J. Strongbow the month before at the Garden, and he won this match by blood stoppage. This led to a rematch on June the 16th, where Bruno captured a decisive victory before an electric audience. Next were two straight shows with the returning George Steele, July the 12th and then August the 9th. The July the 12th match went 46 minutes before the curfew ended things. Next was Bugsy McGraw on September the 6th. McGraw was a heel of some note in other territories before coming to New York but apparently not a big enough name in the eyes of the New York fans, as advanced ticket sales were slow. A few weeks before the show, Lou Albano was added to the match, teaming with McGraw and making it a handicap match. This did spike attendance, but it is still looked at as one of Bruno's lesser MSG matches. Funny enough, the very next show, on October 13th, was one of the most anticipated matches of Bruno's career and in Madison Square Garden history. Ivan Koloff returned to the WWWF in the fall of 1975. Since leaving the territory after dropping the title to Pedro Morales in February of 1971, Koloff had been a successful headliner all over the United States. Outside of Pittsburgh, fans in the Northeast hadn't seen Bruno avenge his loss to Koloff from January 1971. Anticipation in New York was huge, and like with the Arion series, they drew three straight sellouts to Madison Square Garden, climaxing in December with the first ever cage match at the Garden. That evening, Bruno left Koloff in a bloody heap and walked out the door victorious, finally gaining redemption against the man who ended his seven-and-a-half-year title reign four years earlier.
one hot feud led to another, as the territory's amazing hot streak continued, with no end in sight. On January 12, 1976, 22,092, saw Bruno take on a man who was arguably the hottest heel in wrestling at the time, superstar Billy Graham. Graham was a massive star in the 70s, one of the biggest drawing heels of the era. He'd been trained by Stu Hart in Calgary in 1970. He first became famous on the West Coast in San Francisco in 1971 and 72. He then followed that with a long and very successful run in the AWA prior to coming to New York City in late 1975. Graham had been put over huge in the previous MSG show, defeating popular star Dominic DiNucci in a reported record nine seconds. The rematch was held February 2nd during a snowstorm, and they still drew over 17,000 fans to see San Martino defeat Graham by blood stoppage. On March 1st, San Martino defeated Ernie Ladd. Then, on March 29th, San Martino teamed with his kayfabe cousin Tony Parisi to defeat Graham and Koloff. San Martino's next big foe arrived April 26th. His opponent was the relative unknown Stan Hansen, and only 17,493 were in attendance the first non-sellout since September of 75. Hansen was another big cowboy like Bob Duncombe, and perhaps an attempt at trying to recapture the magic of Bill Watts a decade earlier. During the match, San Martino was accidentally body slammed on his head, but the match continued from there, going to its planned finish, with Bruno even making his patented fiery comeback. But when he got back to the dressing room, he knew something was wrong. And he was right. It turned out that botched body slam had broken San Martino's neck. Bruno was out of action. On TV, Hansen's lariat clothesline was blamed for the injury. And suddenly, Hansen found himself to be as hot a heel as anyone who'd come before him. Hansen had started in 1973 in the Amarillo Territory. His feud with San Martino in 1976 made him world famous, and he would have an extremely successful career, particularly in Japan. Hansen was red hot as a heel, but the only problem was that Bruno was legitimately injured and couldn't wrestle him. On the May 17th show at MSG, Ivan Putsky had to sub for Bruno against Hansen. To show how hot being known as the man who broke San Martino's neck had made Hansen, the May 17th show drew a sellout, whereas the previous show with Bruno on the card did not. During all this, behind the scenes, plans were well underway for a second attempt at a big show at Shea Stadium. The hook this time would be different. The hook would be Muhammad Ali. The match would be boxer versus wrestler. But the wrestler wouldn't be one of the big stars of the Northeast, like San Martino or Andre the Giant. The wrestler would be a man named Antonio Inoki, from Japan. And the match itself wouldn't take place in Chase Stadium at all. It would take place across the world at the Budokan Arena in Tokyo. McMahon was integral in putting this one together. The idea was for Ali, the most famous athlete, and one of the most famous people in the world, 
to take on Anoki of New Japan Pro Wrestling, whose gimmick was taking on different fighters in different disciplines, such as judo and karate. These were all worked matches, of course. And the match against Ali was supposed to be a work too, with Ali getting $6 million to participate in a pro wrestling match. McMahon's idea was, with heavy input from his son Vince Jr., to merge the worlds of heavyweight boxing and professional wrestling. Heavyweight boxing at the time was going through a golden era, with Ali on top. And boxing had been having great success, running their biggest shows on closed circuit TV to increase their audience. The idea here was for wrestling promoters across the United States and Canada to hold live cards with a closed circuit showing of the Alley versus Anoki fight. In the Northeast, for McMahon, the live show was to be held June 25th at Shea Stadium. In addition to seeing Alley versus Anoki on closed circuit, those in attendance that evening would see Andre the Giant take on heavyweight boxer Chuck Wepner. There's only one problem with what was supposed to be the biggest bonanza pro wrestling had ever seen. Nobody was taking it seriously. The press treated it like a joke, and advanced ticket sales in many areas were weak, including Shea Stadium. The story goes that a desperate Vince McMahon went to Bruno and begged him to come back for the Shea show to take on Hanson in a grudge match. Bruno wasn't healed already, but McMahon, who had invested a ton of money into this venture, was able to convince him to come back early. The live card now had the match everybody in the territory wanted to see, and as a result, on the night of the show, nearly 33,000 fans attended. The highest attendance for a wrestling show in America since Rogers vs. O'Connor at Comiskey Park in 1961. It also broke the box office gate record for a professional wrestling card in America. It was also an attendance figure more in line with what McMahon had envisioned for the first showdown at Shea in 1972. The match itself between Bruno and Hansen was basically nothing, because Bruno was unable to really do anything. Hansen ran away for a few minutes, and then took off and was counted out. Andre vs. Wepner was surprisingly good. And Ali vs. Anoki was an abysmal farce. But that's a story for another show. The blow-off for San Martino and Hansen inside a steel cage back at MSG on August the 7th drew 22,000, and San Martino won decisively. Next up, on September 4th, coincidentally, was a man whose career would be linked to Stan Hansen in many ways. Bruiser Brody had started in 1973 like Hansen, and was also from West Texas. It was Vince McMahon who gave him the Bruiser Brody moniker when he arrived in the WWWF. He too would achieve great success in Japan going forward. Bruno defeated Brody in a rematch on October 4th. On October 24th, he defeated the returning Nikolai Volkov. Then, on November 22nd, Stan Stasiak returned. He defeated Bruno by countout that evening. This led to MSG's first ever Sicilian stretcher match on December the 20th, where San Martino decisively beat Stasiak.
the midst of all the success, of all the sellouts at Madison Square Garden, New York City had become known as a place of crime and decay. This was the New York of Taxi Driver and Death Wish. The New York President Ford told to drop dead. The New York of Punk Rock at CBGB's and Disco at Studio 54. The New York of the Bronx Zoo Yankees and the Son of Sam. The New York of Johnny Carson jokes about muggings and of pimps and prostitutes in Times Square. Through it all, this was also the New York of Bruno Sammartino. 1977 at the Garden began on January 17th, with Bruno losing by countout to fresh new challenger Ken Patera. Patera had been an Olympic weightlifter, got into wrestling in Minnesota, and trained at Vern Gagne's camp. He was originally a babyface in the AWA and the Carolinas. He turned heel in the old Tri-State Territory in a feud with Bill Watts in 1976 and was an instant huge success. He came to New York in late 1976, the beginning of a huge run for Patera in all the key areas in wrestling at the time. Besides New York, also the Carolinas, St. Louis, the AWA, Toronto, Houston, and Georgia, all the way up to 1984. Like with superstar Graham, Patera matched up well with Bruno in the eyes of the fans as his equal strength-wise. A return match was held February 7th, a Texas death match, which ended with the referee being knocked out and the match ruled a draw. A third match was held March the 7th, this time with Gorilla Monsoon as referee, with Bruno winning after the match was stopped due to Patera bleeding. On March 28th, another new challenger entered the territory as Bruno defeated Baron Von Raschke by disqualification. A rematch was held on April 25th, with San Martino defeating Rashke. What none of the fans in attendance that evening realized was that they just witnessed the end of an era. The next time Bruno would appear at MSG, three weeks later on May the 16th, he would come to the ring without the WWWF title around his waist. And with that, Part three comes to a close. Join me next time for the final chapter of Bruno's Madison Square Garden story. It'll be a look at the late 70s and the decade of the 1980s. Bruno is betrayed by his protege. He has a falling out with the McMahon family. He returns triumphantly and mixes it up with the stars of a new era. Once again, he exits in disappointment but he does get one last glorious moment at the arena he fought so many epic battles in. My sources for this episode were The History of Professional Wrestling, issue number three, Madison Square Garden, published by Scott Teal, researched by Fred Hornby, Capital Revolution by Tim Hornbaker, Sex, Lies, and Headlocks by Sean Azale and Mike Mooneyham, Various Issues of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter by Dave Meltzer, WrestlingData.com, The History of WWE website, and A Dash of Wikipedia. Thanks for all the kind words about this show. I really appreciate it. Goodbye for now.
You said before, the fans on their feet. And coming down the aisle now, you hear the crowd building up. As Bruno Samartino, the belt is indeed at stake.